This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, I've spoken to my lawyer and and he said not to, to, to say anything. Robert Brown was working away as a pilot when he called home to speak to his wife, Joanna. He told her he was feeling distressed and that he'd been having bad thoughts. His thoughts had turned to murder and he was thinking of killing his wife, Joanna, and their two young children. The events that took place just a few years later were hauntingly close to what Robert had told his wife back in 2007. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. This show is made from various source documents listed in the show notes. I use news archives, documentary footage, and court documents, and so the episodes are accurate to the source materials I can find. Joanna Simpson was 10 years old when she moved with her family to the Isle of Man, where she met a good group of friends and worked hard at school, eventually getting offered a place at Bath University to study business management. After that, she got a really good job and she had her sights set high. She'd always been proactive and her work life was no different. Joanna did meet and marry a man, but they ended up divorcing just a few years later. It's reported that there really wasn't any bad blood between them. And in fact, that divorce was amicable and the couple simply grew apart. Although the end of the marriage was Joanna's choice as much as her now ex-husband's choice, it was obviously still a very difficult time for her. And so in November of 1998, a friend of hers who worked for an airline suggested they go on a trip together to South Africa. Joanna agreed and they made their way to the airport. Once they were there and on the plane, Joanna started speaking to the British Airways co-pilot, Robert Brown, and they got on really well. And that was it, really. They continued talking and eventually started dating, and it wasn't long before they were in a serious relationship. Joanna did eventually come home, and she took her new boyfriend, Robert, to meet her friends and family. But the reception wasn't one she'd hoped for. Her mum and dad, who by this point had divorced themselves but were still close and spoke often, both felt quite a strong dislike for Robert. Of course, being Joanna's parents, they want to like her new boyfriend but they just couldn't shake the feeling that something was off and that, in their own words, he came across as very cold and distant. But this didn't change how Joanna felt. She and Robert continued dating, and then in February of 1999, so around four months after they'd first met, the couple got married. But after the actual wedding ceremony, Joanna and Robert went on their honeymoon, and Joanna, who was still extremely close to her mum, called her from their hotel room. She told her that Robert had been really rude to hotel staff and she was worried. 
She'd not seen this side of his behaviour before and she thought that she might have made a terrible mistake. Of course, her mum likely tried to calm her down, but whatever she would have said didn't really matter. Joanna was pregnant just weeks later and so decided that no matter what, she was going to try and make it work. Over the following few years, Joanna and Robert had two children, a boy called Alex and two years later, a girl called Katie. And Joanna really took to motherhood easily. She'd been wanting to settle down and have children for as long as anyone could remember and she was so happy to have been pregnant and now to be a mum to her two beautiful children. And so she stayed home and looked after them. But Joanna was a keen business person too. And so alongside raising her two children, she also opened up a five-star bed and breakfast. And she did it brilliantly. The business won awards and people would often come back again and again. And she managed to do it all alongside running the children to school, extra curricular activities and keeping up a vibrant social life. And meanwhile, her husband Robert was still working as a pilot, but his presence at home wasn't very much because he was on long haul flights. And to be honest, whenever he was at home, he was more of a stressor than anything else. And it wasn't just Joanna's parents who thought there was something off about Robert. Her friends saw the same thing too. They noticed that whenever they were around the pair, Robert wouldn't try and hide his overly critical tendencies. He would always put her down, often commenting on and criticising her cooking, and later on, how she decided to parent her children. There was one incident when a family friend was out with her children and they saw Robert riding his bike towards them. They didn't think much of it at the time, but Robert kept coming towards them and by all means he was gaining speed quite significantly. And instead of stopping or slowing down, he kept pedalling until the very last moment when he suddenly changed direction and missed them by the tiniest margin. Now this friend of course found this quite scary and she found it so scary that she actually ended up filing a police report about it. It became clear to everyone around Joanna that Robert's behaviour was controlling and what they didn't know at the time was that not only was Joanna being controlled when Robert was at home, but he was also managing to do it when he was away at work on those long haul flights. He was always watching her. The house had a burglar alarm installed and Robert would use that system to monitor Joanna's day-to-day -day activities. He was able to actually see what time she left, what time she arrived home and when she would go to bed and when she woke up. In February of 2007, Robert was on a flight that arrived into Hong Kong and he called home to Joanna. Now she had a friend over at this point and when she answered the phone, Robert told her that he was feeling distressed and his thoughts had turned bad. He was having thoughts about killing her and their children with an axe. Joanna called one of Robert's work colleagues to warn them about what Robert had said and to try and check to see how things were going with his work. But when she called, the colleague said that Robert was fine. In fact, he was out just chilling with his work friends and there was nothing odd about his behaviour. He certainly wasn't acting distressed or down right now. Robert returned home but his behaviour became increasingly worrying and more and more violent. 
It was late one evening in the summer of 2007 that Robert actually picked up a kitchen knife and he held it to Joanna's throat and he threatened to kill her. But Joanna would later say that she remembered reading something ages ago about when someone's aggressive towards you, you should try and get them to think about something they love. And so at that point that he was holding the knife to her neck, she asked him what would happen to the children if he killed her. And Robert realised in that moment that he'd be sent to prison and that she would be dead. And so that caused him to lower the knife and Joanna managed to escape out of the room. She then immediately after that called her friend to come round. That friend came round and they barricaded themselves in this section of the house where the children were sleeping but where Robert couldn't get in. And then Joanna picked up the phone, she called her brother and he agreed to come over straight away and help to pack up some of her things into suitcases and the plan was that she would then bring the children to her mum's and stay there for a little while. And they did manage to pack up the essentials and they escaped and so they boarded the next flight to the Isle of Man and went back to her mum's house. And at this point she's moving back in with her mum and she's got her two young children with her. And all the while Robert is verbally threatening that if Joanna tells anyone what had happened that night, then, quote, she'd seriously regret it. And with this, Joanna decided that she really had had enough. She needed to get out of this relationship and she just needed to start her life again without Robert. She wanted the best for her children and she knew that there was simply no way they could all continue living in this house together. So Joanna told Robert that he needed to move out of the house so that she could continue running this successful bed and breakfast business and bringing up the children. And besides all of this, she had actually come from quite a lot of money. So the house had been one that she had bought and she'd owned it before she'd even met Robert. And they had signed a prenup before they'd got married. So there was no way that Robert would get any of the house. And so her asking him to move out just seemed like the natural thing. And so over the next little while, Joanna prepared to go back to the house and make sure Robert had packed up his stuff and left. But she and her family were so worried that something might happen to her that they actually ended up hiring a bodyguard to try and keep her safe at this turbulent time of change. And it's tricky because although Joanna had already started divorce proceedings, Robert is allowed to still see the children at this point. So she's having to sort of balance that whilst making sure that she's as safe as possible, given that she's literally having to hand her children over to this aggressive and violent man who's made threats against her and both of her children's lives. Alongside that, Joanna went to court to get a non-molestation order, which from what I understand is very similar to a restraining order. And this was against Robert and it ended up being for a 12 month period. And to add to her sense of safety, she ended up getting a number of security things installed all around the house, including big floodlights and CCTV cameras. This seemed like a good idea at the time. It was better to be safe than sorry, but the cameras kept turning off, as did the floodlights. And when Joanna went to investigate why this had happened, it became clear that somebody had come onto the property and physically cut the electrical wires. And what Joanna didn't know, certainly not in full, 
at the time was that it really didn't matter that she had all of these security measures in place. Obviously, Robert was well up for destroying the security cameras and lights, but he was also able to force the children to tell him the security code for the burglar alarm whenever Joanna changed it. He needed that code because without it, he had no way to access the house. And when he had that code, he would often go inside the house, he would sneak around looking through Joanna's personal belongings, and he would read important personal information about Joanna and use that against her. Thankfully, one evening, a neighbour actually saw Robert sneaking around outside of the house, and they called the police to report it. But the police didn't actually do anything about it. I know things aren't a huge amount better now, but this is back in 2010, and so incidents of domestic violence and stalking just weren't taken as seriously at all. And don't get me wrong, there's obviously a long, long way to go in terms of protection of victims of stalking, but basically the police said that because Robert hadn't actually broken in to the house, he had the code, then they couldn't actually do anything about it. Even though he had stolen this code to gain entry, it, it didn't make a difference. In fact, it's reported that it was said that unless Joanna had come to some sort of physical harm, they couldn't do anything about it. And the stalking continued. Not only was he physically stalking her by following her and actually being at her house, but he also bought a tracking device that he placed on her car. And then he would text her when she was out and about and let her know that he knew exactly where she was at. And then in some legal settlements to do with their divorce, he actually had to produce some bank statements and those statements clearly showed that he had bought these tracking devices and there was really no way out of it, but it didn't really matter that they could prove this because there was nothing that Joanna could do about it. He could buy as many tracking devices as he wanted and of course, the law just didn't protect against this behavior. Over the next year or so, things continued like this, but at one point, Robert got a new girlfriend, Stephanie. Joanna and her entire family and friends really, really hoped that this would change things. But even though Robert had this new girlfriend, the relationship continued and his girlfriend even became pregnant at one point. His behavior did not change. And in fact, if anything, his obsession with Joanna just grew. And on top of this, the divorce proceedings still hadn't gone fully through. The agreement in the prenup that they'd signed before the marriage was that if they ever did get divorced, it wouldn't be a 50-50 split like most divorces would be. But even though Robert had signed that, he was not happy with this. He wanted half of what Joanna had, but she said no. She did agree to give him a bit of a payout, but he didn't want that, he said that he wasn't gonna be satisfied unless he got half. And so he tried to push that through his lawyer, but eventually Robert was told that there was just no way that was gonna happen. And so after he got that information, he just stopped all contact with his lawyer. And that is when the prosecutors would allege that he started to build up his plan about what to do next. And it revolved around control and it would end in tragedy. Halloween of 2010, Joanna spoke to her close friend on the phone and told her that even though the final bits of the divorce were imminent, 
she knew that Robert just wouldn't leave things there. She knew him too well. She knew that he would find something to fight about. Most likely, she said, it would be the custody of their two children. He would use them as a weapon. And meanwhile, across town, Robert has finished up his week of looking after the children. It was the half-term holidays and he'd had his week. And so the plan was to drop them off at Joanna's house. And I think because this restraining order is still very much in place, he's not supposed to see Joanna. But throughout all of this, that order has been in place and you can see what little use it's been, to be honest. So I don't think this really would have mattered to him. Robert clearly knows that nothing's gonna happen if he does go inside the house. And so when he brings the children back to the front door, he somehow does manage to get into the house and he's carrying with him one of the children's school bags. And when Robert is inside and the children are in the other areas of the house, he opens up the school bag and he takes something out and that something has been wrapped in masking tape and it's a claw hammer. And then Robert used that claw hammer to hit Joanna over the head with a huge amount of force. And he kept going and he did this a total of 14 times until he was sure that Joanna was dead. And a post-mortem would later show that Joanna did put up a fight. She had defensive wounds to her hands and Robert just hadn't stopped. He'd actually ended up breaking her arms as he had tried to attack her and she tried to fight him off. After that, he went back into the house got the children to come with him, and then they all got in the car with Joanna hidden in the boot. Now, just before he left, Robert went back into the house. He disconnected the phone, he removed the CCTV system, and then he finally returned to the car where his young son asked if they were gonna take mum to hospital, to which Robert just stayed silent and started driving. And he eventually drove to his house where his girlfriend Stephanie was at, dropped the children off there, and then he gathered up some supplies that he had bought weeks and months before the murder. And some of those items were things like duct tape, um, forensic overalls, plastic overshoes. And after he'd got these things, he got back into the car with Joanna's body in the boot and he drove to Windsor Great Park. And waiting at Windsor Great Park was a deep six foot grave and he had already dug this grave. It would have taken a long time to dig, so there's really no doubt, at least in my mind, to the premeditation of this crime. He'd even managed to fit this large garden box with like a plastic sheeting in it, and he had placed Joanna in that, closed the lid, and then covered it with soil. And after that, he then returned home to his girlfriend Stephanie and the children, and that's when he told her that they were gonna have to look after his and Joanna's children for a little while longer because he said Joanna was unwell. The following day, however, Robert called the local police station and he told them that he needed to talk to someone about an incident. And he eventually does reveal to them that he needs to come into the police station to have what he calls an appointment because something very serious has happened. All the while, he's not showing any kind of emotion and actually throughout the whole of the 999 call, he is incredibly calm. He does, however, eventually take himself down to the station, which I was quite surprised at given how much 
preparation he did for this and when he's there he admits to what he'd done. So officers are immediately sent round to Joanna's house and they take forensic evidence and they can see from the amount of blood that Robert is telling the truth about Joanna being dead but at this point they don't have her body and they don't know where to start looking for it because Robert isn't being cooperative at this time. It becomes apparent that even though Robert had told both the children to stay out of the room, forensics actually found a bloody shoe print and that shoe print was from her son. And so it's clear that although we don't know exactly what he saw, he has never publicly said, even though he's now an adult, he was very much there in some capacity and witnessed at least some part of this horrific attack or the aftermath. And both children did see their dad put their mum in the boot of that car. Robert did eventually lead police to Joanna's body and chillingly, this area that he'd gone to where he'd buried Joanna was just a few feet away from where he would regularly take his two children to go and play. We saw this in the Sarah Everard case. Wayne Cousins put her body in a part of Horde's Wood, just metres away from where he usually played with his children. And he even took his children there days after he dumped Sarah's body so that they could go and play and he could see Sarah's body. It is so, so grim and it is so messed up. And so anyway, after that, Robert actually pleaded not guilty to murder. But of course, as we've spoken a lot about throughout this episode, there's a boatload of evidence that points to premeditation specifically. The pre-dug grave, the pre-bought forensic suits, even the fact that he had wrapped up and hidden this claw hammer in one of his children's school bags. But Robert's defense alleged that it was a spur of the moment killing. And ultimately, and this is unbelievable, he was not convicted of murder. In fact, he was convicted of manslaughter with diminished responsibility. It's absolutely unbelievable. From what I've read and watched, it seems that the prosecution were just a bit complacent. And Joanna's friend actually would later say that they didn't handle the case the way that they should have, or she believed they hadn't handled it the way they should have. Chillingly, at trial, it came out that Robert had admitted that he was booked onto a flight out of England the very next day after the murder. And he told police that he didn't want to go to prison and he'd rather have flown that plane into the sky as a pilot and taken all of the passengers on board and killed them and himself. Now, thankfully, Robert's girlfriend Although she didn't, it doesn't appear that she knew anything about the crime, she could tell that something was off and she thought he was maybe a little bit unwell. And so she convinced him to stay home sick from work that day. So instead of flying that plane, he ended up, as we know, being at home and picking up the phone and calling the police and admitting, in part, to what he'd done. Robert was sentenced to just 24 years for manslaughter and a further two years for obstructing a coroner in the execution of duty. And because of his charge being manslaughter, he was actually only ever gonna serve half of that 26 year sentence. So that's 13 years. It's an automatic release, so he'd be out in 2023, as in this year, and that's our law. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of the crime are, and it doesn't matter what his background is, 
the law states that he's gonna get out in 2023, which is utterly ridiculous and unbelievable. But, thankfully, Joanna's family, friends, including her mum, have been campaigning since that sentence was given, just trying to ensure that he will not automatically be released and that he'll at least be referred to the parole board to decide if he is safe to be released. Of course, Joanna's family think that he should never be released, and I have to say, I do agree. And that campaign did go through, and he has been referred to the parole board, so he won't be automatically released, as was thought for many, many years. The Joanna Simpson Foundation was set up in her memory and works on her beliefs, values, and the love of her children, and has been working to stop Robert's release from prison. As for when he's actually released, we'll just have to wait and see, and I will of course keep you updated as and when that news comes out. Thank you for watching this episode of Red Rum. If you have been affected by anything in this episode, please do take a look at the show notes. I've listed some resources specifically on domestic violence, um, and if you can, talk to someone that you trust. This has been Red Rum. Thank you for watching. Feel free to drop a case suggestion down below. I made a post on YouTube uh, a few weeks ago asking for case suggestions and had loads of responses. So thank you. If you have put a case suggestion there, it is on my list. We'll see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Bye.